intimacy, identity, inheritance, these are the foundations of who we are as a people at Living Waters. Of course, Jesus is our center, um, but out of that, we ask the question, what do we look like fully alive in Jesus? And what we want to do as a, as a house and as a community is provide an atmosphere for people to be safe, to be seen, um, to allow the presence of God to minister to them and to bring them into relationship with Jesus. Everything that we do is an invitation to follow Jesus. For those who are following Jesus, it's an invitation to just continue journey of lordship of Jesus over every area of our life. And to those of us who aren't yet following Jesus, everything we're doing is to simply demonstrate his kingdom to you and to say this is his reality, this is his kingdom, and this is his way. And we want everything we do to be invitational to you to follow Jesus. And so as we're talking Talking about intimacy, identity, inheritance, um, the, the real outplay of that is asking that question and coming alongside people and saying, in Jesus, what do you look like fully alive? We cannot find the fullness of life outside of Jesus, but in Jesus, we can. And so this, the, the process, the transforming process of surrender and getting to know Jesus and getting to know ourselves brings us into a deeper and ever-evolving ability to say, this is who I am, and this is what I look like fully alive in, in Jesus. And his passion is to see us um, come into uh, intimacy with the Spirit of God, his, his passion is to see us come into our identity as sons and daughters, and his passion is to see us walking in the full inheritance of heaven on earth and not putting it as some sort of holding tank in eternity of I will get to heaven someday when really our commission is to be people who are surrendered so fully to Jesus and the power of his Spirit that we are bringing heaven to earth in every sense that we can um, by the surrender of our lives to him and the invitation of our lives to be overflowing in him so when we talk about inheritance, here is the definition that we use is this. All that God is accessed by faith in Jesus Christ and made manifest in us and around us by the indwelling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which we steward for his purposes and for his glory. So all that God is, our inheritance is all that God is accessed how? by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and then what happens? Then it is made manifest in us and around us by the indwelling and the empowerment of God's spirit, which we steward. We steward all that is given to us for his purposes and for his glory. We have been made right with the father through Jesus. And because we have a father, we have an inheritance. And that's the beauty of this story is that we have in Christ what we could never earn. It is given freely. And as it is given freely, we are adopted as sons and daughters into his family. And because we have a good father, we do have an inheritance. And so that's the reality of what we're trying to walk out and what we're trying to understand. One of the most profound things, or if not the most profound thing that took place on the cross where Jesus died and gave his life for us. And when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and when he ascended to be seated on the throne of heaven, the most profound thing that took place in that process is that we were brought in to be joint heirs with Christ. It is something that we cannot comprehend. It is something that we cannot understand. But not being able to comprehend it or understand it does not mean that we should step back from it and say, oh, it's too much. It means that we should set a lifestyle of prayer and listening to the Lord and knowing the Lord that would say, if every day I have one tiny incremental revelation of what that means, that's enough for me to live out today and that we would have a lifestyle of finding ourselves on our knees in awe and in wonder 
saying, what does this mean? What does it mean to be joint heirs with Christ? And so that's what we get to do as we discover our inheritance. Romans 8, 15, 4. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. When we said yes to Jesus, we did not receive a a spirit of fear, but we received the spirit of adoption. And because we've received the spirit and heart of adoption, we can cry out, Abba, Father. When we're speaking to our Heavenly Father, we come into that depth of relationship. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. And so we receive that spirit and that spirit in us and upon us bears witness that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we persevere with him that we may be glorified together. The reality of a surrendered life to the Lordship of Jesus is that we stay in that place of humility and dependence on Jesus through every day, no matter what comes, no matter what we face. And we cannot walk that out in our human strength, but we can walk that out as we learn to receive and not just receive, but to understand that revelation that that the Spirit of God rests upon us that says you can cry out to God. You have a good Father. And as I said earlier, because you have a Father, you have access to all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has is now available to you. It is staggering to even begin to try to comprehend what that fully entails. But what does that mean for us now? Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2 says this, and this is Paul early church missionary, early church apostle who wrote so much of our understanding of, of, of what this all entails. And he says this, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. The incomparable riches of his grace, the revelation of Jesus and being in Jesus are part of our inheritance in Christ which means this, that we have received and been given every spiritual blessing. Paul says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, this is the heavenly realms, but it doesn't mean it is the eternal place. It means that as we are in Christ, every spiritual blessing that is is held in Jesus is now made available to us because we too are seated in Christ and have access to the fullness of who he is. We have been given every spiritual blessing. So now as we are joint heirs in Jesus's victory and what has been shared with us and we have accepted an invitation to follow Jesus and come into that reconciled relationship with our heavenly father, what do we do now? Through Jesus's completed work, we stand in this place and go, what now should we do? And my question that we ask in this series is what will you do with all that you've been given? And we joke about this every year because when I ask that question, it can feel, depending on where your mind is at, depending on where your history is at with church, depending on how you were raised up in this reality of God's heart and response and eyes towards you is this question can feel very heavy-handed and shame-filled and performance-oriented. What will you do with all that Jesus has done? Like he died so that you could have this inheritance. What are you doing with it? 
sounds really heavy-handed, and it comes with a lot of guilt and that spiritual manipulation that we try so hard to call out in these conversations is go and do more, go and perform more, go and hit all of the marks. And that's not what this question is about. Your father is not disappointed in you based on your performance. He's disappointed in you because, no, I'm 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 kidding. In fact, I have a list for some of you. I went through your social media posts today. When I ask this question of myself and of you, what will we do with all that we've been given? I want it to come with this beautiful joy of anticipation and invitation. If we have been given all that Jesus is because of all that Jesus did, and we have been freely invited to receive the life of Jesus and follow Jesus, and as we receive the life of Jesus and follow Jesus, his spirit rests on us and teaches us what it looks like to be sons and daughters who have an inheritance, what will we do with all that we have been given? And there is a joy and anticipation and an invitation in that question. And I believe that every single one of us has a specific call on our life, a specific purpose on your life. And yes, there is a general call to Jesus. Matthew 28, the call to Jesus where he comes and he says, to all of you who are heavy laden, to all of you who are weary, to all of you who are burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. This is the invitation of Jesus that exists for all of us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28, to come and to be sons and daughters, to come and to go from being orphans to being adopted and to discover what that means. Every one of us has that call on our life. And if we say yes to this call, we are then commissioned as ambassadors of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, again, Paul says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we have a general call to Jesus. And in saying yes to the general call to Jesus, we are commissioned as ambassadors of reconciliation as if God is making that call to reconciliation through our very lives and lifestyles. And then our assignment, our specific call or assignment is to go into all the world and make disciples. This is Jesus in Matthew 28 at the end of his life and ministry on earth. He commissioned his disciples and through his disciples, those of us who call ourselves disciples, which means those who are learning and those who are following and those who are becoming like Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is our assignment. So we have a call to Jesus. We have a commission in Jesus and we have an assignment to go and to make disciples. But generally speaking, all of those do exist. But specifically, how are you making disciples? How are you saying yes and embodying this this commission and this declaration of Jesus that says go and make disciples everywhere you go on every nation and of every nation? Go and baptize people and make them. And you're like, well, isn't that your job? Well, no, I'm giving it to you. I don't want it to be my job only. I want it to be our job to go into the world 
and share Jesus with people and baptize people into following Jesus. And that should be all of us doing that. And it is cool to think and to teach that everybody is called and everybody is sent. But when we say everybody's called, it can be a little bit like a participation trophy. Here you go, you were in the game, you were in the game, here's your trophy, here's your trophy. And so when we're like, oh yeah, we're all called, no, we are each specifically and individually called to Jesus. We are individually commissioned to be reconcilers and ambassadors of reconciliation, and we are each individually called to be making disciples everywhere that we go. And if we say, oh, it's everybody, it's all the time, we can miss the reality that specifically and individually, a really important question in that moment is how am I to do that? How is my life to do that? What does obedience look like for me to this commission that Jesus has given to us? And if everybody is called, we forget to ask, what does that look like specifically for me? God said this in the Old Testament. There's a story of many, many prophets. And one of those prophets was named Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 1.5, there's this beautiful verse of God speaking this over Jeremiah's life. And he says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And so Jeremiah, we have this reality of him being seen, of him being known, of him being set apart, of him being appointed to a certain task that God had for his life. And I believe with all of my heart that that is true for each one of us. You may not be called and appointed and commissioned to be a prophet to the nations, but you are known and set apart and formed and crafted for a certain purpose every day of your life that you walk in harmony with Jesus. And I believe that and I live my life with that um, encouragement for every single one of us to carry this message of reconciliation as only you can to those that only you can reach. God is making his appeal to reconciliation into adoption for people to know that they are sons and daughters and they have a good father through you. And God would say, before you were even born, I knew you. And I formed you and I've set you apart. And for us to be able to say with humility, what does that mean for me? Not arrogance and pride. Oh, I'm so, wait till you see the stage that I get to be on. No, but just the humility of going, if that's true, for every day of my life, I get to be in partnership and relationship with you. I'm just saying, you knew me, you formed me this way specifically and I get to be in partnership with you and with your kingdom and with your message. And that's such a powerful invitation. We have that inheritance in Christ that we are to spend on making Jesus known and the reconciliation of the Father known. <laughs> How are we to spend this inheritance that we've been given? I believe that the gifts and the call on our lives from Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says that the gifts and the call on our life are irrevocable. 
Now, now, Paul is speaking this in the context that he's speaking this. He is speaking this over generations. He's speaking this over nations. And he's speaking this specifically over uh, the Israelites and over the Gentiles. And this that he's saying what God has called and what God has set in motion, it is irrevocable. He doesn't give and return. But we believe that what we see in his nature and in his character for the nations and for the gospel and the way that it would build the church is also true of us to be able to stand in individually. Is that that as he knew you and formed you and crafted you specifically, that there are calls and purposes on your life and gifts that are in your life that are irrevocable. They are in there and they are unique to you and they come alive as you serve and surrender to Jesus' spirit being poured out upon you. So I want to, mm, I think, let me just, let's, can you close your eyes for just a second? I want to pray over us as we talk about this inheritance message. And I just speak this over you that no matter what, God knew you, he formed you, he crafted you. He placed purposes and unique designs in you, gifts in you that are irrevocable. And so we allow that truth of scripture right now to rest on us, to rest on our minds, to rest on our hearts. Because your gifts and your calls and your purposes on corporate lives, on nations, but also on individuals are irrevocable. We allow that truth to revoke the right of excuses, failures, shortcomings, Mistakes that we've made are past. We revoke the right of any of those things to speak identity and to speak over our lives and to define how we walk out this place and this reality of our inheritance in Christ. None of that gets to, gets to determine. None of that gets to determine our worthiness in Christ to receive what the Father has for us. In Jesus' name we pray and receive that. Amen. The people who, or the attitudes or the beliefs that we have that see us as broken, unworthy, unlovable, unusable, those don't get to speak over us when we have a father who says, I see you in Christ and I've poured out my spirit upon you. And because of that, you can receive what I have for you as a son and as a daughter. And no one that sees you as less, nobody that wants to remind you of your failure, nobody that wants to say you're unworthy or unlovable or unusable, they do not get to determine your worthiness to receive your inheritance. Your worthiness to receive this inheritance is because of the completed work of Jesus and nothing else. And so Jesus determines our worthiness to be able to receive and use and stand in this inheritance and in the unique calls and purposes that exist on our life. And so the question is for you specifically this morning, what is disqualifying you from rising up and releasing your kingdom in inheritance? 
What is keeping you from impacting the world around you as a life fully alive in Jesus with a good father and all of heaven behind you? And I believe that the answer to that question is true for every single one of us. The answer to that question of what is disqualifying us or what is telling us or what is keeping us from rising up and releasing, in, or, yeah, and releasing our kingdom inheritance is that circumstances and conditioning and trauma and self-doubt and comparison and competition and, and learned programming that we have been wired into us and these false expectations we have, all of these things are in enemy is using all of these things to work diligently to program us, to program our minds and our hearts to feel unworthy of accessing what is already ours. He cannot touch your inheritance, but he can lie to you about your ability and your worthiness to access it and to live in it. And so his only attack against you, it starts with intimacy and it starts with identity. And if we can get those two things at the core of our hearts, we will be able to rise against any lie that says you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you're too young, you're too old, you're, you have failed, you have this, you have that, this story, this story, this story. Who sets the narrative of your life? Because if the father sets the narrative of your life, he will say, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love, I am pleased with you and you can access me and my grace and my mercy whenever you need it. As a son, as a daughter, run to me and receive. Yet life and stories and narratives come against us. The enemy uses them over and over and over to say, you're worthless. You've screwed up. You've got too much whatever in your past. And we allow that lie to determine our ability to access what is fully ours. Run away. Run away from anything, anyone, any church that is telling you that something that Jesus has made fully available to you is not fully available to you unless you jump through certain hoops and check certain boxes. Do not let anyone take what Jesus has done for you to be available to you right now and move it into the future based on some sort of performance metric that you have to follow. The performance metric that we have to follow is full surrender to the spirit of the living God that would meet with us every day and say, I am here to let you know that you are a son and a daughter, that you are loved, and that my presence is transforming you every day into Christ-likeness. We are not defined by or determined by how well we carry, work, live, and release our inheritance. The only thing that we have as a metric is that we are following Jesus, and in following Jesus, we are becoming more like him every day. Your lists are not going to get you there. Your religion is not going to get you there. Going to church every Sunday for your entire life might even get you further from getting there. The presence of the living God that is your inheritance through Jesus' completed work and surrendering and submitting to it and living a lifestyle of presence and encounter and desire for him is what is going to cause us to be transformed into Christ-likeness. Nothing else. There is no human effort that can make you more like Jesus. but it is that surrender to him that allows us to carry and release this inheritance powerfully. So, as I said, the enemy and all of these different things wants to convince us that we're unworthy and we're unable to walk as co-heirs with Christ and to access the power of God here on our earth. And, and, the, and the real kicker is that when we begin to believe that that is acceptable and normal, 
that not accessing the fullness of our inheritance and releasing the fullness of our inheritance is normal and acceptable, and that's just the way life is. Keep going about it day by day by day by day. It's fine. This is fine. We're all fine. The distance between what you believe to be true and what should be true in your life in Jesus and what you're experiencing on the day-to-day is the amount of pain that you have when you come into the realization that I have got to journey with Jesus through this process so that what I profess to be expecting and should be living that is not compatible with what I am actually experiencing and living has to be journeyed with Jesus so that I can truly say that what I am professing to believe is what I am in fact experiencing because of Jesus. And when that's not the reality, what is our solution? More Bible studies, more church attendance, more jumping through hoops, more doing the things. Why? Because that keeps us religiously busy and we never have to answer the question that is deep down inside of us. Why am I not spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, and relationally experiencing the fullness of Jesus Christ that I profess to believe? And nothing that I do and nothing that we do can answer that question for you. It is you and it is him. It is getting into the word. It is getting into space. It is allowing that transformative work of God to come and to show you how unique, how beautiful, how powerful, and how you are made and wired and crafted to carry the reconciliation message to every single person that you encounter. Does this make sense what I'm sharing with you? Why do I ask a question like that? I'm sorry, don't answer that. It's not like we're having a one-on-one conversation here. But if you would like to, we've got a lot of people on our team that love to chat. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Kim's like, sort of. Uh, but you're, you may be sitting here and going, but... Like, I get what you're saying, Ryan. I get that you're saying that this is the expectation that we are all crafted and we are formed and we have a call on our life. And, but I'm, I'm, I'm on the side of just experiencing all of those messages of shame that come against me and my worthiness to access and to rise up in my inheritance. And, and I'm dealing with that unworthiness and that feeling of normalizing living below capacity. What is it that I do? What is the revelation that I need? What is the experiential truth that I need to get, as you said, to get to that place where I'm not, I'm not quite experiencing what I know that I should be experiencing in my relationship with Jesus? What is it that I should do? And as I said, there is nothing that you can do, but there is this beautiful revelation of Jesus that we can rest in. And I want to do that just for a minute today. And we talk about this when we talk about inheritance, Luke 15. Sometimes it's not how well you pursue God that changes your life. Sometimes it's how well he receives you when you're not pursuing him that truly changes and transforms our life. And so in Luke 15 is a story. In Luke 15 is a story. It's, called, it's the prodigal son story. And I, and I won't go all the way into it this morning. But I want you to hear this story because it is a story about inheritance. And in this story, there is a son and he comes to the father before the father is, obviously before the father is is deceased. And he says, Father, I want my inheritance now. Many of you know this story. And I want us to, if you don't know this story, it's just a beautiful story that Jesus told me. He said, what is, 
What is all of this about, Jesus? What is it? What's, what's it really about? What's the Father's heart? What's the kingdom about? And Jesus told this story. He said there was a, there was a father who was very wealthy. His son came to him and said, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait. This is great, <clears throat> great offense culturally that took place. And so he said to his son, yeah, you can, you can have your inheritance now. And so his son took that inheritance and he squandered. He went, he moved away, <clears throat> living amongst the enemies of his family and his people. And he squandered it all and he spent it all and all kinds of terrible things that are unmentionable in church because we don't say those things. They could, could be contagious. Um, <laughs> doing all sorts of things, just living his life the way that he chose to live his life as if his father was dead. Because he had his inheritance, he had his money, and he had what he wanted to do. And then eventually the money ran out. And as the money ran out, famine came across the land, and he got to the point where he couldn't work, couldn't do anything. All of his supposed friends that he was having such a great party with, they all said, oh, you're not as much fun anymore when you don't have all the money. We didn't really like you. Uh, It all goes away, and he is found just like going, I will take the the, the worst of the worst jobs and I will eat, I will throw food to, to pigs and then I will eat the food myself because I'm starving. And, and he comes in that, in that pit of despair. He comes to that moment and goes, I need, I'm going to go back to my father. And so he, he crafts this narrative in his, in his mind of how he's going to come back to his father. And this is what he said. He wanted to say to his father, Father, I've sinned against you. I've taken what was yours. I've lived as if you were dead. Uh, I, I don't need to come back to you as a son. I, I just want to come back to you as a servant. And so he, he, he thinks this is, a, this is a good story to tell. I will go back to my father and I'll tell him I'm just going to live as a servant. Remembering as we're talking about inheritance that he squandered his entire inheritance. He took it and, and wasted it and used it on nothing. And so he comes back and he's on his way to the father and, you, and Jesus is telling the story. And think about Jesus telling the story. This is not just a cool story that we tell. Think about Jesus telling this story. We say, Jesus, what is, what is the Father like? What is the gospel? What is this good news? What is our relationship like? What is the kingdom like? This is the story that Jesus told. And it tells the story goes on as this guy is coming back from this place of debauchery and failure and squandering. And it says, Jesus says, and the Father is there and he's watching the horizon for his son. He's, he's, every day he's out watching for his son to return, believing that his son would return. And as the son comes back into sight, says that the father runs to receive the son. And there's so much to unpack, even the reasons of why this father who is dignified and wealthy would run with his robes, would cover his son, would, would, would keep him from having to be addressed in, in shame and on the the offense that he created within the community, all of these things that the Father did that Jesus is telling them, this is how the Father sees you as you return back from the wasting of the inheritance, the mistakes you've made, the places where you would say, yeah, but you don't know why I'm not worthy. You don't know what this is or what that is. As I said, a lot of your spiritual journey and the gains that you make are not gonna be determined by how well you pursue the Father. A lot of them are going to be seen in the revolution that takes place in your mind when you understand how the Father pursues you when you're at your worst. And when you're in the midst of those excuses and those things that pop up into your mind even today. And the Father runs to his son and he puts a ring on his finger and he puts a robe on and puts sandals on his feet. And it all just represents the full reestablishment 
of a son with an inheritance, with a family, with a destiny, with a purpose. He wasn't saying, he starts to say, Father, I've sinned against you and I can come and just be a servant. And he re- and establishes him fully in that moment in an embrace. And with a robe and with a ring and with sandals, he fully establishes him again as a son. And that is the reality of our inheritance. That is the reality of our story is that I know that you and I have history, we have stories, and we have reasons. But if those history and those stories and those reasons become the mud that we're stuck in, it is past time that we get up out of that muddy place of shame and and self-judgment or others' judgment or whatever it is, and we say, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm going to go home to my father. And how he receives you How he receives you is what changes your entire life and journey with him. The unfortunate thing is that often religion finds us along that road and says, yeah, you can go back to being a servant. And so we have an entire methodology within within church that is about us being servants. And I want us to say, It is vital that we serve all the time because sons and daughters can serve so well. But if our identity is first, we are servants, we will never be able to be sons and daughters. So let us serve Jesus and let us serve others and let us lay down our lives for others, but let us do it out of an identity as a son or a daughter not as an identity of a a servant. And that's what we want to live in, and that's why we want to be able to rise up and carry this inheritance that we've been given. Is there something currently in your life that you feel like is disqualifying you? Is there something currently in your past, or is there something in your past that's disqualifying you? Is there a new wound? Is there an unhealed wound? Is there a failure? I believe that one of the most beautiful pictures of repentance that we're called to in scripture is that choice of that man to rise up out of that condition that he found himself in, in that place where he was ensnared and to say, I want to return home to my father. And so to those things that you're carrying that are so very real, I don't minimize those. I don't say, oh, they're no big deal because to you and to me, these are massive things and they're hard for us to see past them. But my, I implore you to bring those things home today to the Father and to allow him to meet you on that road and to experience what it is like to have a father who sees and knows all of that and where you've been and what you've done and all of those things and runs to you and embraces you and restores you as a daughter, restores you as a son and says you are no longer an orphan. You are adopted into my family. I am your father. And because I am your father, you have an inheritance to carry. Hebrews 4 tells us that we can come boldly into the father's presence to receive grace and mercy whenever we need it. When you've experienced that kind of road with the father running to you and meeting you and embracing you, you believe Hebrews 4 that says, whenever I am in need, whenever I am falling short, of of the grace and the mercy that I need to walk out the fullness of a life in Jesus, I can go to the Father. 
But if we are basing our life outside of that reality and that experience that Jesus taught us, we are not only going to struggle to return home to the Father from those places, but when we do, we're going to struggle to come to the Father on a daily basis the way that Hebrews 4 invites us to. The reality of our inheritance is not simply what we're going to do with all that we've been given but it is are we going to have a lifestyle of sitting at the feet of Jesus, going into Hebrews 4 in his throne room and saying, Jesus, I need the grace and mercy today that you have for me and being able to come boldly into his presence. That is the beauty of being a son or a daughter, right? There's a couple more things I want to say. You guys are doing great hanging with me. So if we believe that your life is a bank account full of kingdom resources and that your inheritance is to be spent on bringing heaven to earth, loving and reaching the lost and impacting the world around you, I think that was maybe a slide. Can we throw that one up? Was that not a slide? That was not a slide. Let me read that again because that's not a slide. Your life is a bank account full of kingdom resources. Your inheritance is to be spent on bringing heaven to earth, loving and reaching the lost and impacting the world around you. But this is going to happen so much more around tables than it is from stages. And so I want to break off this morning just um, spiritual delusions of grandeur that keep us locked in shame as if we're not doing enough with what we have been given. We don't need stages. We need to open the tables of our hearts and the tables of our lives and invite people to them because Jesus is seated at our table and in that sense of coming to our table, they are able to hang out and spend time and get to know Jesus. And that's what we are about. You are commissioned you are filled you have an inheritance all that Jesus is is available to you and he wants to make himself known through you that is all true but also don't live your life like you're trying to make it into the bible (laughs) only a few people made it into the bible and it wasn't even only the good ones But so many of us have this complex, like we're not doing enough. I should be doing more. I need to live so amazingly and do such incredible things that I could make it into the Bible, that I would be a story worth telling. And I'm not here. This isn't like, oh, I went to church and they told me my hopes were too high and my goals were too high and you're never going to reach them. And if you want to hit the mark, aim lower. You're too high on yourself and your self-importance is killing you with shame when you're feeling like you're never adding up or able to do the things that Jesus has commissioned and assigned you and called you to do. But I am not just saying aim lower and I joke about it, but you know what? What if you're to spend your inheritance on those friends that are around your life, three or four people? 
What if you're to spend your life on those kids that you're raising? And that is, your, that is you releasing heaven on earth because of the full access you have by the life of Jesus to all that the Father is, and you are assigned and commissioned as, a, as, as one who is an ambassador of reconciliation, and you aren't to find a stage, and you aren't to write a song, and you aren't to become famous, and you don't have to change the world. And you just have to surrender on a daily basis to Jesus and say, a holy moment is that moment in my day when I invite you into it and I step into it with you. That becomes a holy moment and it may be for that one person. What if you have one person that you're supposed to be loving powerfully for the next six years? but you have a delusion of grandeur like you're supposed to be reaching 60 people or 600 people and therefore you don't reach that one because you are always feeling ashamed that you're not doing more for Jesus. Jesus doesn't need your effort or your performance, but he is looking for your surrender and your availability. And in those opportunities of holy moments where you're saying, oh, this is it with my, with my daughter, this conversation I'm having right now with this coworker, with this moment at my school, with whatever it is. And I, I, look, there are people in this room, maybe you are called and commissioned and equipped to change the world. And I am not saying that is not good or healthy or whatever. But me, I'm not. And you're not. No, sorry, I'm not pointing at people. <laughs> But when I am content with who I am, where I am, and when I am trusting Jesus to give me the doors and the opportunities to do the things that he's called me to do, and I am content if that is just for my kids, my grandkids and my great-grandkids, then that's enough if that's what he's asking me to do. And if we start small and we aim small, we might see a willingness for God to use the humility that comes with that to have a trickle effect to greater things that are are as Ephesians says, beyond what you could ever ask or imagine would come out of the simplicity of your life of little decisions that you're making, not from a stage, but maybe from a table, not from something famous, but just because you were showing up in the little things that you're invited into with Jesus. Good, I hope that makes sense. I know I went to church and the guy told me not to dream. In Christ, your inheritance isn't just about receiving, but it's about stepping out to do the things that he's placing on your heart to do. You were created on purpose, you were created for a purpose, and you are filled with God to fulfill all that he has assigned to your life, whatever that looks like in whatever season that you're in. So I believe that you are called to the Father through Christ, that you are equipped in the Spirit for specific works, moments, relationships, schools, workplaces, families, communities, whatever it is. I also believe, and I say this every year, and I want you to hear this, that your life can go places that no one else can go, and you access, you have access to people's lives that no one else in this room can access. And so if we're aiming small, we're thinking smaller, you're going, oh my gosh, as a key can unlock a huge lock, a massive door, that key is your life. And you truly have, if you thought about it right now, who are the people that I have relationship with to love on and to care for and to reach out to and to pull into community and let them be seen and known that no one else can. It is so beautiful when you realize how 
small your life is because that small life can infiltrate places where no one else can go. And that is a rad picture for us to understand when we're talking about this inheritance. Don't downplay your role in expanding the kingdom just because it's not worth making it into the Bible. You matter too. Your ideas matter. Your voice matters. Your obedience matters. Your lifestyle matters. How you choose to posture yourself in repentance. How you choose to posture yourself before Holy Spirit. How you choose to invite the conviction of God to rest on your life. How you choose to speak. How you choose to carry yourself. This is not performance. I am just saying that it all matters because you matter. Your voice matters. How you do things matter. And you, fully alive in Jesus, does not have to look like anything anyone else in this room. Thank God. Because that, I believe, is a good thing. Your life is a kingdom key. And I want us to dream again. I want us to awaken to the places. And I can just say in this morning, like my own journey, difficulty kills, makes it really hard to dream. And so when we have this conversation about inheritance and we think about all the difficulties, all the, all the things we're walking through, all the disappointments that we have, and, and I'm like, hey, I want you to be awakened to the inheritance of who you are, that you carry. I want you fully alive in Jesus. I want you to believe that you're a key and that no matter how small what you're doing is, it matters and has kingdom impact. And I want you to dream again, just not dreaming too big. Still kidding. I want you to dream again. I know that for me, for the last couple of years, that feels impossible. But the solution to that, to the solution to my process is not just to skip the journey and go, oh, I'm going to start dreaming again. I need a dream journal. I need to write down all these ideas and these things. It is not skipping to the application and activation that is making us healthy. It is the willingness to walk through whatever I need to walk through so that my heart and my life are healed to the point where I begin to dream with him again. We are not performative where we are jumping because we dream. We are saying, I am having a hard time dreaming. I am having a hard time saying yes. I am having a hard time believing that there is a greater purpose to my life when I look at the shame or the failure or the story that is upon it. My solution to you this morning is not, well, then just dream. Think about all the things that you can do. It is, how does the spirit of the living God want to meet you on that dusty road as you travel back to him in whatever state you find yourself? And the revelation that we have of a father who runs to us and puts his arms around us and puts a robe on us and a ring on our finger and sandals on our feet because he cares about where we have walked and where we are walking. And when he meets us in that place, that is the healing that I need. And that is the healing that I believe each one of us needs. And when we are healed in that way and when we experience that revelation, you may just find yourself beginning to dream again. And do not be surprised. It's not methodology. It's not checking boxes. But as you surrender to him, do not be surprised if some of the things that said, I designed you this way, 
I've created you this way. You have a heart that loves differently than anyone else. You have access to places no one else can go. I made you this way, that the healing of the presence of a father over a son or a daughter that says, I know who you are and I made you that way and I want to use you for my purposes and for my glory, not because you're a tool, but because you're a son and a daughter with an inheritance. That's powerful for us to be able to stand in that and walk in our inheritance. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. I want to make available to you this morning um, communion. There's communion up here in the front and there's communion in the back and we'll put on some music and we have um, to move to getting the kiddos or middle schoolers or whatever it is, but I would love to invite you to take communion and just to imagine that you're doing it on that road away from whatever it is that's trying to shame you or define you or say you're stuck, you've screwed up, you've made a mistake, you're not living up to your capacity, whatever it is, that communion would be an act of walking down that road and seeing the Father running to you to throw his arms around you and put a robe and a ring and sandals on your feet that said, I'm fully restoring you to identity, to sonship, to daughtership. So if you have some time, I think we'll turn on some music. If you do need to go or need to go grab your kiddos, let's, let's make sure that we're having our conversations and our connections outside of here and just leaving space in here for God to minister to people as we take communion. Jesus, we thank you that you're the perfect revelation of the Father, that you are the one who went through all to be able to be seated on the throne and that when you were enthroned, you said my spirit would be poured out and that we get to live in the overflow of that reality. And I ask this morning that you would, we would hear this question ringing in our ears and our hearts as we leave this place. What will we do with all that we've been given? Not as a judgment and not as a shame, but as a beautiful opportunity and an invitation that says, if all of heaven is behind me, and I am known and crafted and made for this time, and I am commissioned as an ambassador of reconciliation, what will I do with all that's been given to me? And I declare over every person in this room that as you step into relationship with Jesus, his heart is to reveal to you what it means to be a son or a daughter, and that includes fresh revelation of the inheritance that you have received as co-heirs with Jesus and that you release everywhere that you go. Rise into it in humility. Rise into it by being on your knees. Rise into it by being face-to-face with his presence and being formed into Christ's image so that as the inheritance overflows out of your life, it is overflowing from a container and a reality that represents Jesus. Amen.